Go ahead and flip with me to Psalm chapter 42. Psalm chapter 42. And if you don't have a Bible uh, on the tables in the back, there should be some blue softback uh, Bibles. That's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have those and keep those um, and read the word of God. As you find your way there, let me just introduce us to where we are. We are doing a summer series through the Psalms. We're kind of jumping around. So in week one, I opened with Psalm chapter one. And, and I talked about the fact that the Psalms invite us not just into the life of the mind, but the life of the heart. That God is not afraid of our emotions. He invites us to bring everything to him. But because we're broken people in a broken world, sometimes our thoughts and sometimes our emotions are wayward. And the word of God is what draws us back to the heart of God, that he is true north and he is the one who directs our emotions and who we should orient our thinking and our feeling to. And then in week two, Eduardo preached through Psalm chapter 13, a psalm of lament that because we're in a sinful and a fractured world, hard things happened, but we are not alone in the hard things. We have a God who is with us in the hard things and he carries us through the hard things. And then uh, week three, Stephen looked at Psalm chapter 19, that the word of God is like, is sweeter than honey. It's better than pure gold. That in the word of God, we have the power and presence of the Lord with us. And And last week, Mike uh, preached through Psalm chapter 23, that we have a Lord who is our shepherd who guides us through life, and he is a gracious host who invites us to his home and to eat at his table. And because we bear his image in this world, we get to mimic him to others. We get to be people who shepherd others through life, and we get to be people who are gracious hosts, inviting any and all to come eat at our tables that we might preach the good news to them. This week, we're going to look at Psalm chapter 42. Now, At Story Church, we believe the word is from God and it's about God. And because God has spoken, uh, we want to honor him and, and be reverent towards him. So would you stand with me for the reading of his word? Psalm chapter 42. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and grab a seat. Today's sermon is titled Dark Night to Noonday Light. Now, I love summertime. 
I love summertime for a lot of reasons. Now, I don't really like the heat, and I spend about a couple thousand dollars worth of sunscreen every single summer. But what I do love about summertime is the length of days. The longer the sun is out, the more we can get done in a day. Am I right? Like, if the sun's out at 4 a.m., you better believe I'm out working on the yard about 4 a.m. One thing that, that I do love about the sun is that we know the sun provides for us vital nutrients, right? Vitamin D. We know that the sun has a tendency to lift our countenance, lift our mood. We know the sun is not just good for us, it's, it's good for plants and it's good for animals. Now, when Katie and I lived in Portland, when I went to seminary up there, it was the worst. Is there any native Northwesterners here? Anyone? Yeah, that's, that seems about right. Um, now, the hard thing about being in Portland was you would wake up and it would be dark. You'd get in your car to drive to work and it'd be dark. And then you would go to work, and then you would leave work, and it would be dark. And you wondered, did, did the sun make an appearance at any point throughout this day? And you would walk through life with just kind of a, a, like a little bit of a melancholy attitude. Just, you just needed a little bit of that noonday light to give you uh, some hope, to lift up your countenance just a little bit. And what we know, scripturally speaking, from, from church history and in the scriptures, is that there's seasons where our life with Jesus is like that. It's dreary, it's overcast, it's raining, it's dark, and you're just kind of melancholy. You're just kind of down in the dumps, so to speak. And we see this all throughout the scriptures. We, we see this prominently three times in Psalm chapter 42, in verse 5, and in verse 6, and in verse 11. The, the psalmist says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? We call this, throughout church history, the dark night of the soul. We may call it in today's day and age depression. Uh, in the 1900s, they called it melan or low spirits. In the 1800s, it was melancholy. This past week, I heard it called ennui. I I've never heard that word before. I think it's spelled E-N-U-I. Is that right, Joel? Ennui? Two ends. It's You know who I heard it from. Uh, it was, it's just this listlessness. Right, That's what I heard it defined as. This is the dark night of the soul. And we see this, again, all throughout scriptures. We, we see Abram, when he is asked to uh, sacrifice his own son, Isaac, going through this dark night of the soul. We see the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, as they're preaching the word of God, trying to reach the cities uh, of the ancient world, facing persecution and oppression, and they are battling with God. We see Jacob literally wrestling with the angel of the Lord. We go into the New Testament and we see Paul shipwrecked and snake-bitten and imprisoned for living for Jesus. We see Peter prominently on the night that Jesus was betrayed deny him three times. And when that rooster crowed in the early morning, Peter was full of shame. He was in the dark night of the soul. We see it from our Savior himself when Jesus was about to face the cross, crying out to his father, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Full of panic and fear, he literally sweat blood. When uh, in 2017, when I was serving at the Village Church in Dallas, Texas, the first ever time they allowed me to, to go on stage and be a part of the gathering, I walk up Saturday night, five o'clock service, and, and I'm praying for the congregation, I'm reading the scriptures, I'm welcoming people, giving announcements, and about halfway through in a sea of 1,800 people, I see my wife stand up, 
walk out toward, make a beeline for the doors with tears streaming down her face. And I'm thinking, man, she sure is proud of me. I am killing this. But that's not what was going on. I finished up my task and I walk off to the side and behind our sanctuary, there was just a little office and I walk into that office and there's Katie and four of our pastors there at the Village Church, all of them full of tears. Right at that moment, Saturday night at five o'clock when I walked on stage was the moment she heard the news that her mom was diagnosed with a very progressive form of pancreatic cancer, which she ultimately would die from. And I walk in that room and it's, full of tears and crying out to God. And that following Wednesday, we met with our pastor, Matt, a a man who survived brain cancer himself. And he reads to us Psalm chapter 42. And he says, hey, there's gonna be confusion. There's gonna be anger. There's gonna be fear. There's gonna be questions. And the good news is, God's not afraid of it. The good news is, Here in the scriptures, we have the psalmist crying out to God in the midst of the dark night of the soul. And so let me just say this right off the bat. It's okay to not be okay. Okay, so if you walked in this place today and you're feeling anything that I've described so far, the filthy stain on the American church is that we have to be positive about everything. We have to speak positivity and blessing and honor and all that stuff that is distant from what our hearts are feeling. Because if I speak it into existence, it's gonna happen. And that ain't true, friends. We are sinful people surrounded by sinful people in a fractured world where hardship upon hardship, trial upon trial is going to rain down upon us. And it's okay to not be okay. Listen to Hebrews chapter four. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Our savior, whatever you're facing right now, he's faced it. And he is not distant from you. He is not uncaring from you. He sees it and says, I have sympathy for you. Just bring it to me. And the very thing you're starving for, help and mercy and grace, is the only thing our Savior has to dish out to us. So again, it's okay to not be okay. We just can't stay there, friends. So the main point for this morning is this. It's okay to be in the dark night, but through Jesus, we can get to the noonday light. It's okay to be in the dark night of the soul, but through Jesus, we can get to the noonday light. Here's what we're gonna do this morning. We're gonna look at five different sources of the dark night and then five complementary ways in which we can walk into the light with Jesus. Let me just stop for a second. I, I'm sensing a little bit of reservation in my spirit and maybe, maybe in you guys. Is it it okay to be honest? Is it okay to be real? Not just with God, but with each other. And I think what Satan wants to do this morning is keep us trapped in bondage and isolation and darkness where we're not honest with God and with each other. So I wanna just do this. Let me just pray for us and then we'll, we'll look at the scriptures again. Father, we know you're present among us by your spirit So would you empower the preaching of your word 
We know, God, that your word says you comfort the afflicted. You are near the brokenhearted. That the crushed in spirit can find healing and hope in you and in you alone. And so, God, I pray your spirit would fill this place in a unique way that we would experience the power that he brings, the power of freedom and of hope and of joy. And would you do something today that only you can do? Will we walk away from this place transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the power of your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, first, let's do this. Let's look at the sources of the dark night. Let's look back at verses one through three with me. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? The first source of the dark night that we see here in Psalm 42 is we are far from God. The psalmist says he feels alone. He has intense feelings of loneliness and he uses intense imagery here. He talks about a deer. Let's imagine this deer is a little baby deer and she lives in the forest with her mom and with her siblings and she wakes up like an eager little deer and she runs away from home, frolicking in the fields because that's what deer do. And she gets far away from home and she gets exhausted and she realizes, oh my goodness, I'm not with my mom, I'm not at home, I'm not where I belong. I am unsafe. There are predators out there ready to get me. And in her panic, she begins to take off in every which way, searching for her way back home, her way back to her mama. And as she runs around, she realizes she gets dehydrated. She is thirsty and she is searching desperately for a stream that she might just get one little drink of water so it can sustain her back home. This is what the psalmist says his soul feels like in relation to God. God, that he has wandered away from God. God is far from him and he is far from God and he is wandering every which way, trying to find his way back home, back into the presence of his father in heaven, but he just can't do it. And he's starving for some water to sustain him for the journey. As a matter of fact, he says his tears are what hydrate him. He is crying out to God because he is far from God. And maybe it's better said this way, God is far from him. Maybe this idea of a distant God resonates with you. Perhaps you have followed the spiritual discipline checklist. You've read your Bible. It's just ink on a paper. You've prayed, and it feels like it evaporates in thin air. You hop in community. Everyone seems to be happy but you. You show up every Sunday, but you walk away unchanged. Perhaps God feels far from you. You're not alone in that. The psalmist himself, likely King David, says, God, I feel alone. That can lead us into the dark night of the soul. That's the first source we see here. Number two, the second source of the dark night, we see no rescue from turmoil by God. Jump back down to verse number five with me, just the first half. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil Within me. 
Turmoil being the key word there. We can see turmoil in this world in, in maybe two different ways. The first way we see turmoil is the one large event that cuts us off at the knees, the thing that surprises us. Perhaps it's something like this. Your spouse says, I've been cheating on you and I'm leaving you for her. The doctor calls you and says, it is cancerous and I don't think there's any options. The police calls you and says, we did everything we could, but we couldn't revive him. Your employer calls you in and says, hey, we're doing cutbacks and you're without a job as of right now. This massive event that causes disorientation and confusion, turmoil, deeper than you've ever experienced. But I bet for the vast majority of, of us in this room, our turmoil is not that one large event. It's probably a bunch of smaller events that continue to pile up over time. Yet another friend notifies you they're moving out of state and you know that friendship's going away. Yet another kid strays from the Lord and you really desperately want them to come back. Yet another bill hits the mailbox and you don't know how you're going to pay for it. Yet another night comes and passes without any kind of sleep and you can't explain why. Yet another person that you are unreconciled with, no matter how desperately you try to repair that fractured relationship, this turmoil just continues to pile up over time. But in the middle of it, you are questioning, where is the rescue, God? I've heard all these promises that in you, God, all sad things are gonna be untrue, that in you, God, all bad things are gonna be made right, that in you, God, all tears will be one day dried up, that in you, God, we will one day dwell in a place more perfect than Eden. Why can't that happen for me, God? All this turmoil just keeps raining down on me and there is no rescue. It's the second source of the dark night. Keep moving with me. The third source, life is unbearable. Look at verse seven with me. Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Now, in the ancient world, water would have been terrifying. Even though a lot of fish, they were a lot of fishermen, they didn't know how to swim. And so just imagine you're at Newport Beach and it's a particularly high swell that day and you wade your way into the water but all of a sudden the current pulls you deeper and deeper out to sea and the deeper you get, the more you fight, the further you get pulled away from shore. And the further you get pulled away from shore, the more the waves crash down on you. And the waves get bigger and bigger. And every wave causes you to tumble underneath the sea. And you're hitting your head on the sand. And you're confused. And you're dazed. And you don't know how to get above surface. And every time you find your way back to the surface to get a gasp of fresh air, there is yet another wave that crashes down upon you. This is what the psalmist is saying his life is like. The breakers and the waves keep crashing upon him and he can't find his way to the surface. In other words, life is seemingly unbearable for him. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're frightened to take the next phone call because it might be the one that puts you over the edge. Maybe the things and the people that used to give you joy and happiness are now empty and meaningless. Maybe it's hard to get out of bed in the morning and not because your body's getting older, but because you don't want to face another day. Maybe you've even had the thought, this world would be better off without me. Life is unbearable at times. 
And I want you to notice here in verse seven, at the end, he says, all your waves have gone over me. That's in the singular. The psalmist is alone in the waves, isolated. And as we face life and it's growing in its unbearable nature, we do so in an isolated fashion, pulling back from community, pulling back from people, pulling back from help. There is no one to bear us up. There is no one to remind us of the goodness of God. There is no one to bring us above surface that we might get that gasp of fresh air. Life is unbearable. So we have three sources. We have God being far from us. We have life being unbearable. We have no rescue from turmoil. Let's keep going here. The fourth source of the dark night, we feel forgotten by God. Forgotten by God. Maybe I can say it more poignantly. You feel rejected by God. Look at verse nine with me. Just the first half of it. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Stop right there. You feel like God has rejected you. You feel almost like an old toy down at the bottom of the toy box where it's dark and dingy and full of dust, never to be played with again. Everyone around you can report God's activity and God's presence in their lives, but God seems to have forgotten all about you. And worse yet, not only has God forgot about you, but he actually cares about the needs of other people. He seems uncaring and neglectful in his attitude towards you. You keep on going in your morning. You're crying out to him, asking him, where are you, God? I want you, God. But he seemingly does not want to pick up the phone for your call. You are forgotten and rejected by God. The final source here, the attack of Satan. Keep going on verse 9 and 10 with me. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? The scriptures describe Satan as a lion who is roaring or is wandering around studying us. And he's ready to pounce and ready to attack us. So let me tell you something. Theologically, Satan can't make you sin. Okay? Satan can tempt you but your sinful flesh has to agree with that temptation in order to walk with sin, walk in sin. So here's what Satan does. He studies us and he lays traps before us. I, I know just how Travis likes to sin. I know the ways to entice him and to, and to draw him into his sinful nature. And here's what happens. I give way into my sin and then my adversaries, Satan's minions, what do they do? The scripture says they taunt me. What does that taunting look like? Shame, guilt, and shame. As you walk in sin, the propensity of the human heart is not to run back to God for mercy and forgiveness. The propensity of the human heart is to run further away from God and to agree with Satan that we are just shameful people. You're right, Satan. I don't deserve the love of God. You're right, Satan. I'm a bad person who gets bad things. You're right, Satan. I must not have believed the gospel promises. You're right, Satan. I should just be full of shame and I must hate myself. This leads again to the dark night of the soul. So maybe you're in the dark night this morning. Let me throw some diagnostic questions on the screen and maybe one of them will resonate with you. Does God feel distant from you? Do you feel far from God? Even though you're reaching out trying to find him, he's far from you. Is God seemingly refusing to rescue you from your turmoil? 
Is there no light at the end of the tunnel in what you're facing? Has life become unbearable for you? Has God forgotten you like that old toy at the bottom of the toy box? Has he rejected you? Finally, do you feel the attack of Satan and the shame that comes with it? Again, if any of that resonates with you, let me just say it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be in the dark night of the soul in the scriptures. But let's consider how can we walk into the noonday light? Let's look at part two here. Five complementary ways we can, in the dark night, walk towards Jesus to find the freedom and hope that we need. Now, before I jump into that, I just wanna scan out and look at Psalm 42 as a whole. From start to finish, verse one to verse 11, there is zero change in circumstance. There is zero change in what the psalmist is facing. So oftentimes, we believe that the rescue is simply the removal of the suffering we're facing. That's not what the scriptures describe walking with Jesus is like. Sometimes does he deliver us from those things? Yes and amen, and we pray and ask God for those things. But most often, what it looks like is we pursue Jesus even in the hard stuff. That he is the light of the world who has pierced the darkness. He has not left us without himself in the dark night of the soul. As a matter of fact, he saddles right up next to us in the middle of it. He himself has faced the dark night of the soul. He himself has laid in a dark tomb as the universe went silent and dark. This psalm is not about God taking away the painful things in our lives. This psalm is about us trusting Jesus in the middle of the hard things in our lives. I just gotta say that. Because again, the filthy stain of the American church is that if I'm suffering, God hates me. That's not true, friends. Most often you're suffering because you're choosing to follow and trust Jesus in all of life. So with that, I'm not trying to prescribe here ways in which we can be, be delivered from our circumstances. I'm trying to prescribe ways in which we can find gospel hope in the middle of our circumstances. Okay? So the first one, walking into the light, worship. Worship. The psalmist in, in verses one through three says, I feel far from God. God feels far from me. But look what he says in verse four. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. What the psalmist is doing here is he is describing times in which he felt particularly near to God, where he experienced the presence and power of God in a particularly poignant way. He is pointing back to a time when he would walk into the temple with a group of people, they would praise God, they would shout with joy and with gladness because God was near to them. Again, the propensity of the human heart when we're facing hard things is not to run to God, it's to run from God. But the psalmist is saying, hey, if you find yourself in the dark night, if God feels far from you, keep on keeping on. Remember times where God was particularly near to you because that will sustain you here and now. So, so let me just say this. I know it's summertime. I know in the fall and the spring, we get busy, but Sunday morning is a Saturday night decision. You understand what I'm saying with that? 
If you're gonna be here, it's because you've made decisions in your life to be here because you're never gonna wake up on Sunday and just kind of roll out of bed and into church. You have to make the decision. And here's the good news. God is absolutely present in this place. God is always present. He is always near to us. We may not feel that way, but our feelings don't govern us. The truth of God's word does. And the word says, God is always with us. So everything that happens on a Sunday morning, God is with us. As you walk into this place, you're not just walking past smiling people saying hi, they're praying for you. As we sing our songs, we're not just singing because that's what people do. We're singing because we have to verbalize the truth so our hearts can follow it. As we walk through the word of God, we're not just doing it because that's what they say to do in church history. We're doing it because this is the very place where God speaks to us. As we take communion, we're not just going through some ritual sacrifice. We are feeling and sensing the forgiveness of Jesus through his broken body and shed blood. As we sing the doxology, we are praising God corporately, which we're gonna do forever, so get used to it. And when we're doing the benediction, we're saying, hey, you've been changed by the gospel Go give Jesus to others. Everything we're doing here is absolutely saturated in the presence of God, whether or not you feel it. And so what I wanna recommend to you is keep on keeping on. Don't neglect the gathering because it is in this very place where God will meet us. And so if you're like me, there's a lot of Sundays where I don't wanna be here. Okay, I'm just being honest with you. It's hard to get here. And as a matter of fact, sometimes I don't want to sing because my stubbornness and my sin and anger, maybe Katie and I got in a fight Saturday night and it's unresolved. Maybe the kids kept us up all night. Maybe I made some poor decisions. I don't know what it is, but I don't want to be here and I don't want to sing. So sometimes what I have to do is simply bow my head, close my eyes, open my hands and hear you all sing because you need to speak the truth to me that I can't speak to myself. When God feels far from us, it is his people that draws back into his presence. So the first way in the middle of the dark night we can get near to Jesus is to worship. Number two, restore hope. Restore hope. Look at verse five with me again. I've read it a couple times. We're gonna read the second half here. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God for I shall again praise him, my salvation. Hope in God right there is not a suggestion. It's not a question. It's not a, hey, think about this if you get some time. It's a command. Where the God of the universe is saying, in the middle of your soul being in turmoil, restore your hope. Restore your hope. Perhaps there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe it seems like it's nothing but a dark night. But hear me, Christian, because you are united to Jesus Christ through faith and because Jesus is resurrected and because Jesus is enthroned and because Jesus is ruling and reigning over all things and because Jesus has made some rock solid promises to us, there is not room for despair in the Christian life. In the Christian life, we have hope. We might feel despair for a second, but despair ultimately gives way to hope, which is why the psalmist says, hope in God. Listen to 1 Peter chapter one, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Christian, you might be suffering. You might have got that dreaded phone call. Your disease might be progressing beyond treatment. But what the scripture says is that your future is incredibly bright. Your future is imperishable. It is undefiled. It's perfect. It's unfading. And it is being guarded in heaven by our Savior, Jesus Christ. And he's not going to lose it, and no one can snatch it from him. So whatever you're facing now, you know at the end of the day, hope has a word with the dark night. And hope says to the dark night, defeat it. Your future is incredibly bright, Christian. And you must rip that future hope into the present to sustain you. Number three, walking into the light, remember the activity of God. Look at verse six with me. My soul is cast down with me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Now remember, for the psalmist, life is feeling unbearable. The waves are crashing over him. And so what he does is he says, I go to this place, Jordan and Hermon, on the top of Mount Mizar. Now, geographically, this was really far from Jerusalem. But as you climbed to the top of Mount Mizar, you could spy out in the distance the temple right in the middle of Jerusalem. And right there, you look from that mountain onto the temple and you remember the activity of God in your life. You remember to times past when God was particularly present and particularly moving in your life. This is what the psalmist says, when life feels unbearable and it seems like God's not working here and now, remember back to the times when God did work on your behalf. Because friends, the truth is, God has worked on your behalf, and he is working on your behalf. God does not sleep and God does not slumber. He is always at work. You may not be aware of it, but again, our awareness and our feelings don't govern us. The truth of God's word does. And God's word says he is always at work in our lives. And what I need to do is look in the past and see, I'm living in my prayers. That's a phrase Katie and I use oftentimes, right? When we're grumbling and complaining about this or that, we remember the very life we're living right now is the life we prayed for for years. God has met us in some powerful ways throughout our lives. Most prominently, he took this dead heart and breathed life into it, a sinner like me, are you kidding? But even more than that, he has been near to us. He has provided for us. He has answered our prayers, friends. God has worked on your behalf and he continues to. So maybe it's hard for you to remember that. A couple of suggestions here. Maybe keep a journal, okay? I'm not a journal guy. I've tried 400 times. I've got 7,000 moleskins in my office with like one and a half pages written in them, okay? <laughs> I've tried. That ain't me. But maybe it is you, Okay? And maybe you need to write those things. And when you're in a season where life feels unbearable, you need to go back and read those pages to give you confidence in the present. What works for me most often is just surrounding myself with a community of people who are actually gonna tell me the truth, right? Woe is me. You're a dummy. 
God is with you. God is for you. He is not against you. He's working on your behalf, right? Katie reminds me of what is true. Stephen reminds me of what is true. Our community reminds me of what is true. And what is true is God is always at work, even and especially in the darkest of nights. Remember the activity of God. Keep going with me. Number four, stand on the rock of love. This is my favorite part. Look at verse eight and the first half of verse nine. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock. And and just stop right there with me for a second. He says day and night his rock is with him. Rock giving the imagery of the unchanging nature of our God. And what is the trait that marks our unchanging God? His steadfast love. His covenantal, unending, unchanging, into perpetuity for all of eternity, love. Now think with with me for a second. When you feel forgotten by God, when you feel rejected by God, you must stand upon the rock of love. Because here's the truth. Before the very foundation of the world, God looked at you throughout the annals of history and said, you're mine. And he knew all the wickedness and all the sinfulness you would walk in before he saved you. And he still said, I love you, you're mine. And even more so, he knew all the sin we would commit after he saved us. And he still says, I love you. And so when you feel rejected by God or you feel forgotten by God, remember his love. This is what makes the gospel so beautiful. What we feel about God doesn't change what he feels about us. And all that he feels about us, friends, is love. He says that he delights in us. The scripture says he sings over us. The scriptures say we are his adopted sons and daughters, his prized possession, the apple of his eye. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're feeling, God still says my unchanging love is set upon you. The ways in which we've been faithless, he's been faithful. The ways in which we've wandered from him, he's chased us down and brought us home. The ways in which we've forgotten him, he hasn't forgotten us. The ways in which we've rejected him, he hasn't rejected us. Because the truth is, his love is not set upon us because we were deserving of it. His love is set upon us because he is love. And if you didn't deserve to earn that love in the first place, you ain't gonna do anything to lose it. You are clothed in the very righteousness of Jesus Christ and God's love is set upon you now and forevermore in an ever-expanding way. And he says, whatever you feel about me, you know what I feel about you. And I love you. I love you. This is what makes Jesus so beautiful, friends. Stand upon the rock of love. Final thing here, expectant faith. Look at the last two sentences here, verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I wanna hone in on that word, I shall. That is a future-oriented word, and it is a word of promise. That there are some future promises stored up for the Christian And we shall one day see all of them to fruition. Jesus Christ has promised to finish that which he started. 
No matter the dark night you might find yourself in, no matter the attacks of the enemy, no matter the shame that you feel, no matter the darkness you're walking through, Jesus says, I'm gonna finish it. I've started it, I'm gonna finish it. I'm gonna carry you right on through this thing. You see, Satan thought he had the final word when Jesus laid in the tomb. (laughs) And then Jesus got the last laugh as he raised from the grave. Darkness thought it had the final word, but darkness always gives way to the light of the world. Death thinks it has the final word, but 1 Corinthians 15 says, death has lost its sting. Death has been swallowed up into victory. For the Christian, Jesus has died the death that you deserved, and he now lives the life you didn't deserve, and he gave it to you. So ultimately, death and disease and darkness and all of these things do not have the final word. Jesus does. And so we cultivate an expectant faith in the here and now. It may not seem like any of this is gonna come to pass, but I'm choosing to trust Jesus, it will. It's okay to not be okay, but you don't have to stay there, friends. Let me throw some more on the screen here. When God feels far, worship yourself near. When there is no seeming rescue, restore your hope rescues coming. When life is unbearable, remember God is active in the midst of it. When you feel forgotten or rejected by God, stand upon his steadfast love. When Satan's attack is unrelenting and shame continues to govern your life, cultivate an expectant faith. This is how even in the middle of the dark night, we can experience the noonday light. And remember, God is using the dark night to shape you. Scotty Smith says this, the gospel is more about growing through hard stuff than getting out of hard stuff. Transformation trumps triumphalism. So again, this psalm is not about a change in circumstances. It's about a choosing to trust Jesus in the middle of it. And as you choose to trust Jesus in the middle of it, He'll give you all the things your heart desires in the darkest of nights. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4. We have this treasure, Jesus, our faith, the gospel, in these brittle jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the, bo- in, the body of de- the, in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. In other words, in the dark night of the soul, the noonday light is there. And one day, ultimately, the dark night will give way to nothing but light forever. Let us look forward to that day with great anticipation and trust that Jesus is working in the here and now. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we do thank you for Jesus. We thank you that even in the really hard stuff of life, when our souls are cast down and we're full of turmoil, that you are near to us, that you love us, that you care for us, that you have not forsaken us, that when you feel far, it doesn't mean you are, you are actually near 
that when we are crushed, you are with us. That when we are perplexed, you are with us. When we are confused, you are with us. And you, God, are marked by a steadfast love, an unchanging, always and forever love that we can stand upon. And so I pray today for anyone who's in the dark night of the soul, whatever that looks like for them, that you would meet them in power. That you, God, would, would change the situation, but if you choose not to, you would be near to them in such a way that they say, even though it's hard, I'm choosing to trust and follow Jesus. That even if it's hard, I still have hope and help in the middle of it. Even if it's dark, I know the light of the world is with me. I pray, God, you would give us the courage to come before you and others and to be honest about the darkness we're facing and the darkness in our souls that we might receive one from another the words of life and of hope and of love. And that you might free us, God, that we might be a free people whom the Son set free are free indeed. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We do not need to be marked by shame or by guilt or by condemnation because those things have already been placed upon Jesus Christ on the cross. He has been condemned for us. He has taken our shame. He has bore our guilt and he buried it in a grave 2,000 years ago. We don't need to walk in that. We can walk in the freedom of the Son, Jesus Christ. Would you help us, God? Would you do that for us? Our hearts are yearning for that. My heart is yearning for that. But I can't do it on my own. I can't do it at all. I desperately need your Spirit's power to move in me and move in us. And so God, would you speak? Would you move? Would you convince? Would you convict? Would you give sorrow? Would you give repentance? And would you follow all of that with help and mercy and grace in our time of need? Pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.